2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him, shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. The word of the Lord. Be seated, please. Good morning. Happy Labor Day to you. I uh, hope you get a chance to enjoy some time together with family and friends this weekend. We are finishing up our series called Hope at All Times. There are times in life that can be difficult, that can be challenging. Uh, certain seasons in particular that can be of uh, great difficulty. And in our current series, we're exploring some biblical stories that talk about hope. And we mean that when we say hope at all times, that we can always hope in, there is always hope, that we can always trust in God, no matter what circumstances we are dealing with or facing. And so in this series, we've talked about having hope at times when we are feeling despair. Perhaps a loved one is experiencing depression or we, we have another uh, person in our life that is going through uh, experiencing or that is dealing with mental illness. We talked about times uh, in our life when we're facing uncertainty, maybe uncertainty at work, uncertainty in our family, uncertainty about the future. We talked about times when we are feeling disconnected, disconnected maybe from those closest to us, from family, from friends, or maybe disconnected to the community at large. Last week we talked about times when we are experiencing loss. With that we think of loss of a loved one. We think about other times of loss as well, and how God provides for us in those times a living hope. This week, we talked about overflowing hope at times when we are feeling overwhelmed. I'm guessing it's safe to say that everybody in here has experienced at one time or another the feeling of being overwhelmed. You don't need to raise your hands or anything, but can I have some nods, maybe some little amens in there? Okay, thank you. So, you know, we're all on the same page here, right? There are times when we can just feel really kind of stressed out. 
there was a Gallup poll done this past December, so it's less than a year old, and they, they polled uh, Americans, and they found that eight out of 10 Americans said that they feel stressed somewhat or, or frequently during a regular day. Top stressors, work, and kids. Now, kids, before you get a complex or worry too much about that, know that we love you. And it's maybe because of that love that we can sometimes as parents can maybe take on a little bit more stress than maybe we need to. But the good news is stress tends to decline the older that we get. One piece of good news with getting older. And, um, and so it, stress can get less as we get older like when the kids go away and when we retire. So when those two stressors go away. Perhaps uh, also interesting but not surprising is that um, more stress comes with lower income levels. So if that household has a lower income level, there is, uh, tends to be more stress there as you worry about meeting your needs, as paying bills, etc. Enter in our story here of Elisha and the widow with two sons. It's in 2 Kings. And this is the story of the prophet Elisha. Elisha, one of two major, uh, uh, two significant prophets. He was the successor of Elijah. And then comes Elisha. And this, uh, in chapter 4, we have a couple stories that really harken back to stories of Elijah as well. So these stories are there kind of showing the continuation of the, the uh, power and the ability of God shown through the prophets. And so here we have this story of Elisha and a widow and two sons. The woman's husband has recently died. And she finds out about some debt that he had incurred. We don't know how the debt came about, uh, but all we know is that this man, her husband, was a person that must have had a relationship with Elisha, or Elisha would have been aware of him. Because the woman cries out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. See, the Jewish law allowed for a creditor to seek recompense for his or her uh, credit that was extended from the family members of a deceased person. Now, there were limits that were put upon that of the amount of time that a family member would have to work, but that was the law. A creditor could appeal um, to the family and have them work off that their loved one's debt. Thing was, many people took advantage of that. Many creditors took advantage of that, and family members would be indentured servants for an indeterminate amount of time. And so you can imagine that the woman knows this. And she cries out to Elisha, please help me so that my two sons won't be taken from me. She's already grieving the loss of her husband. 
Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? And then he said, tell me, what do you have in your house? This woman is poor. You can imagine her looking around trying to to find something that would be of value to her creditor, something that would at least begin to repay the debt. But she looks around at her meager possessions and she says, my Lord, I have nothing, nothing to offer except this small jar of olive oil. You can almost imagine the next words out of her mouth, but what is that? What is this little jar of olive oil among such a debt that my husband has incurred? But at this, Elisha instructs her to go around to her neighbors and collect empty jars from them. So, she does so. And then Elisha tells her to begin to fill fill those empty jars from the oil, the little bit of oil that she has. And so she takes the first jar and begins to fill that jar. Fills it with, from her jar of oil, fills this empty jar. And then sets it to the side. She takes the next jar, fills it from her, her little jar of oil, fills it, sets it to the side. This happens over again and again. Again. Finally, she asks her, one of her boys to bring another jar, and they say, that's it. All the jars have been filled. And then Elisha says to the woman, go and sell the oil. Pay off your creditors. And with what is left, use that to support yourself and your son. Now, there are a few things that I think we can learn from this story about overflowing hope when we are feeling overwhelmed. The first is, bring your petition to God. The woman speaks up. She knew that Elisha was a person of God, a prophet. And so she goes to Elisha, with whom if not her, at least her husband had a relationship. And and she cries out to him for help. We can talk to God in prayer. We can go to God directly. And, And that can be of great comfort, great help, and great direction, too. We can also go to people around us, people that love us, people that care for us, people that we can confide in, people of faith that will pray for us. Just doing that can help unburden a lot of stress and a lot of that feeling of being overwhelmed. Just knowing there's somebody there that listens, that cares, and that can walk through that with us. Second, focus on what you have rather than what you lack. This is a key Uh, element of this story. You see, the the woman had very little. Nothing really with which to solve the problem. Many times in life, 
we can feel that way, can't we? It's just overwhelming. Whatever it is that we're dealing with, it just it feels insurmountable. And the more that we focus on his, how insurmountable the problem is, the, the bigger that wall seems to, to grow. The bigger that wall seems to pile up. But instead, Elisha in the story asked the woman, what do you have in your house? This isn't the only time that we have a story in scripture that is like this. Maybe you with me can connect those dots between some of these stories. For example, Moses, right? I mean, he's out watching the sheep, got his staff in hand, you know, everything's fine. Then God comes along and says, hey, Moses, go tell the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the most powerful person, by the way, in the Middle East, to let my people go, to release hundreds of thousands of servants that are the backbone of the Egyptian economy, just to let them go. Now, you can imagine, put yourself in Moses' shoes, he feels a little bit overwhelmed by this. And he says, who am I to, to ask this, to demand this of, of Pharaoh, of this powerful person? Who should I say sent me? What collateral do I have to demand this? And God says, what do you have in your hand? staff. It's a shepherd's staff. And God uses that staff at key points in the story of Moses and the Exodus to demonstrate that he is with Moses and that he is with the Israelites. That it is God's power that is at work through Moses. But he asks, what do you have your hand. In the New Testament, the disciples and Jesus are out far away from uh, Jerusalem. They're far away from any city, and they have collected uh, the, the people, these masses of people that have come to follow Jesus and to be healed and to hear the good news that he is preaching, and they followed him all the way out to this deserted place. And now it's been days, and the disciples are looking at these people, and there's, you can imagine there's grumbling going on. They're hungry, they're tired. The disciples themselves are hungry and tired, and they say to Jesus, what are we going to do? Please send these people away before we have a, a riot on our hands so that they can go and buy food. What does Jesus do? He says to them, what do you have? They find a little kid's lunchbox. Kid brings it, right? He's got some bread in it. Five loaves of bread, two small fish. Jesus takes that, blesses that, and feeds the multitude. You see, in all of these stories, the Lord redirects attention away from the enormity of the problem to what resources are available. And in each one of these cases, 
God utilizes those resources to help the person address the issue. Third, take action. It's what the woman in the story does. The widow, she is directed by Elisha to go around to her neighbors and collect empty jars. And that's what she does. She begins to do it immediately. She doesn't question it. She just takes action. Finally, trust God. It took trust from the widow to do this thing. For us, we, we want to trust that God hears us, that God cares about us in our situation, which can be a difficult thing when we're feeling overwhelmed. It's like, is God really there? Does God really hear me? Does anyone really care? But trust that God loves you and will respond in a way and a time that produces good. Ephesians 3.20 tells us this. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. I think about the times in my life that have been the most profound experiences of encountering God or encountering God's direction. And it was when I was kind of wanting to, you know, pull God along in one direction and say, okay, you know, let's, let's go this way, God. Come on, come, come on. Why are you dragging your... Wait, don't hold on, hold me back. And God's like, no, we're not going to go that way. And then God shows me something that I couldn't even imagine. Something far greater than what I had thought or intended. God is able to do immeasurably more than all that we could ask or imagine. Reverend Erisa Matubazi, that's a mouthful, isn't it? Uh, Reverend Erisa Matubazi is the country director for Hope International in the African country of Rwanda. Hope International is a Christian mission who utilizes uh, Christ-centered financial resources and offers that to some of the most poor people in the whole world. People who have very limited resources and places to turn for any sort of uh, assistance. And because of that, they can fall into, easily fall into enslaving debt. Hope believes that families in poverty have the God-given talents and skills to provide for their families. They have the resources in themselves. But what they don't have is a lump sum of money to invest in their potential by paying school fees, for example, saving for the future, or investing in their small businesses. Uh, let's listen in this video to Reverend Matubazi as he shares a little bit about the work of Hope International and then hear a story of a woman in Rwanda who has benefited from this. Let's take a listen. As we read these powerful stories in the Bible, we can't help but ask, what would happen if instead of focusing on what we don't have, 
we consider what God has already given us, our talents, our dreams, our motivations, and offer them back to him as an act of worship. At Hope International, we believe God has already provided us with the resources needed to tackle the great challenges of our day, challenges like poverty. That's why we approach poverty alleviation by focusing on what clients already have, their skills, experience, relationships, and passion. We go to places where people have traditionally felt worthless, where mothers and fathers have struggled to provide for their children, and we share the truly good news that God loves and values them. We offer discipleship, training, a safe place to save, and small business loans. In doing so, men and women are empowered to use what God has already given them to invest in their dreams for their families and communities. And we are already witnessing God using these clients in transformative ways. My husband and I came together before I knew the Lord. One day he left to look for a job, but he never returned. I used to till other people's fields for 300 random francs per day so I could get soap for washing. During that time, I felt like I was not among the people God created, like he didn't care for me. Through the savings group, I developed slowly by slowly. It all started after I came to know Jesus as my personal savior. He accepted me just as I am, and I asked God to protect and guide me. We started by saving 200 francs a week because it was affordable for every member, even the poorest could save. With the help of God, I decided to rent this building, starting with a very small loan of 10,000 francs to sell donuts and tea. As a group, we have all improved together, and now each of us saves 500 francs per week. All this was done through coming out of loneliness and coming together with others. In story after story, we've found this biblical model to be incredibly effective at alleviating poverty. By coming alongside clients, and emphasizing what God has already given, hope draws on the many resources within a community. And when we affirm the God-breathed value of our clients, they are in turn equipped to do the same for their neighbors. Love that smile. This is uh, one of the things uh, that has impressed me so much about Hope International, and, and um, we've been we've been familiar with them uh, for actually a couple of years now. And that they look at they ask this question that's asked in Scripture that Elisha asked of the widow, that God asked of Moses, that Jesus asked of the disciples: What do you have in your hand? What what, what do you already have? They look at Rather than looking at the lack, they look at what, what's there already? And what can we do 
with that. Um, we were going to hear more about Hope International at, uh, during Mission Weekend at the end of September, uh, but I'm excited to share that with you, uh, a little bit more about that group and how it also complements some of the other things that we're doing in our missions program. Um, for example, what Compassion is doing around the world. In fact, Hope and Compassion just this year have partnered up uh, as a trial run in, uh, in one country. And, and so we're excited about the possibilities that are there. What do you have in your hand? When we feel overwhelmed, that's the last thing often we do. We don't look at what do we have, but we look at what do we lack. And the more we look at that, the more we are consumed with that, and the bigger the problem can become. But when we ask ourselves, well, what do I, what do I have to face this issue? What are the resources within me? What are the resources around me? How can God help and guide me in this? Then, we can find a hope that is overflowing. In this series, we've talked about having hope at all times. We began this series with a passage from Hebrews 6, 19, that says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Whether we are facing despair or uncertainty, disconnection, or loss, whether we are feeling overwhelmed, and at all other times, we can have hope in God, because God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord, we can have hope at all times, no matter what circumstances we are dealing with or facing, because that hope is an anchor that is firm and secure in you. Lord, when we are feeling overwhelmed, help us not to focus on the issue and give that more power than it needs, but help us to focus on what do we have to deal with that issue. What are the resources around us? Who is it that we can lean into? How can we call upon you? What lies within us? Lord, you are able to do immeasurably more than we could imagine. So help us to trust in you and have a hope that overflows. We pray in your